Everybody should learn to do a polonaise. And if you want to know, this is the show for you. Good morning. I'm Christopher Purdy. This is All Sides Weekend, where we talk about arts and culture and what's going on in the city of Columbus. And what you just heard was a bit of the opera Eugene Onegin by Tchaikovsky. The polonaise, the dance, the great dance, the ballroom scene from the third act. Julia Nuland-Merat from Opera Columbus is here. Julia is producing Eugene Onegin next weekend in the Ohio Theater in a collaboration with the Columbus Symphony conducted by Rosen Milanov. And I am also delighted to welcome a guest to Columbus, and we'll hope he comes back a lot. Raymond O. Caldwell is a director based in Washington and in Los Angeles. He is here in Columbus to work with the Contemporary Theater of Ohio, formerly known as CATCO, and a new play called Skeleton Crew. So welcome both of you. Raymond, since you're a guest, I want to start with you. First of all, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. You just won a very prestigious award in the theater, named for the great director Zelda Fitchhandler in the arena stage. So congratulations on that. Thank you very much. Tell me about Skeleton Crew, which you're directing now in Ohio. Yeah, Skeleton Crew is a really brilliant play by Dominique Morisot. Um, and it tells the story of a factory, an auto factory that is about to close. And and four people who have developed a work family um, and, and their relationship both inside of work and outside of work and how all of that comes to a head, particularly as the automotive plant begins to close. What, uh, what drew you to this play? Uh, I love Dominique Morisot. Tell um, me about Dominique Morisot. Dominique Morisot is, uh, I think one of the most brilliant contemporary playwrights for the American theater. Um, She is writing plays about black people and black experiences that I think are really fundamental for American consciousness. Um, And so Dominique Morisot writes a series of plays set in Detroit. And this play particularly about the automotive industry gives us an opportunity to have conversations about not only what's happening within the black community, but actually what's happening in the working class and the middle class of America. Um, We're seeing that subset of folk in our society disappear. And part of that is because of automotive plants closing. What is the, tell us about the characters. I believe there are four characters in the play. Yeah. Can you tell us about them? Yeah, there are four really beautiful characters in this play. You know, uh, what I love about Dominique Morisot and the characters that she develops is she creates very full characters. And so some of these characters you absolutely fall in love with at one moment, and another moment you absolutely hate them and the choices that they're making. But you meet four people who are all, who all have dreams. Um, One woman is about to retire from the automotive plant and only needs one more year to get her full retirement. Uh, Another guy is trying to build his own automotive business and is supplementing this work for his future. Another young woman is pregnant, and so she's dreaming about the future of both her child and her place in this industry. Uh, And then the final guy has just moved upstairs. And I think we all know what it is to move upstairs, right? No, we don't. (laughs) No, we don't. (laughs) But, But the struggle of what happened downstairs and what is now upstairs life, and how do you balance that, particularly as you begin to climb uh, through this American dream. Um, And so all of their dreams come to a clash in this break room as they begin to navigate, well, what happens after this plant closes? And then what happens to my dreams? Skeleton Crew, directed by Raymond O. Caldwell, opens at the Rife Center February 29th and runs through March 17th. 
event. It is a pre- presentation of Contemporary Theater of Ohio, which we used to know as CatCo. They've had a name change. They've had a rebrand. They are more exciting than ever, and Raymond O. Caldwell is a part of that. And we're going to come back and talk more about your journey because I've been reading about you, and it's very, very interesting indeed. Uh, but first of all, it's time. Butts and seats. Yes? Butts and seats, Yes. Uh, Ju- <laughs> Julia Nulanmera, my good friend, is the artistic director, executive director of Opera Columbus. And you are moving to the Ohio Theater for the performances next weekend in a collaboration with the Columbus Symphony of an opera by Tchaikovsky, which will not be familiar to a lot of people. It's one of my favorites, so I'm very excited about this. Mm-hmm. It's called Eugene Onegin. It has an anti-hero who remains an anti-hero for yes. the entire place and a female character with whom everybody will fall in love. Absolutely. As our stage director says, he's a jerk. <laughs> he's a jerk at 8 a.m., 8 p.m., and he's a jerk at 11 p.m. Yeah. Yes. But it's just so fantastic to be able to do Grand Opera at the Ohio Theater. Um, we're really lucky. So it's a collaboration with Kappa as well. So they've been incredibly supportive. Thank you, in Chad. <laughs> yes, thank you, Chad. Um, so so um, just to be able to do it uh, on such a grand scale, and we know the symphony you know, they are incredible at playing Tchaikovsky. So you're in for a treat. Um, we have never actually performed Eugene Yonegin at in Columbus. So this is, I mean, how can you possibly even think about like doing a world premiere of such a, you know, a milestone piece? But um, we're really excited to be presenting it. The rehearsals are going tremendous. Um, we did a, it's run- a big show. It's a huge show. Um, the Columbus Symphony Chorus is also in it. Um, so there are about almost 36 people on stage. There's 55 in the pit. It is a huge production. Russell Milanov is conducting? Yes. Which I, I, I expect, uh, be hearing the way he conducts Russian mm-hmm. music, that he, this opera is probably very dear to him. Yes, and very detailed in the work yeah. that he's been doing um, with everybody. Uh, we had a wonderful zitz on stage last night. So it's just incredible. Um I, I have to confess that I've been crying a few times watching rehearsal because it's such a powerful piece and it's so beautiful and they've give, been give us work. give us a really abridged version yeah. of the plot. Oh my goodness! Okay, there are so many subplots. Start with the jerk. Russian opera. <laughs> Start, and it's being sung in yeah. Russian, isn't it? It with, is sung in Russian with the titles with the translations. Yes. Uh, so we have captions, so you can follow along. Um, but the really quick subplot is Tatiana falls in love with a guy. She writes him this incredible letter, which, by the way, is the most beautiful aria ever written in the opera. Um, and he basically gets back to her and says, you shouldn't be writing this. You know, I'm not for you. And and he, you know, he, he is he blasé. Humiliates her, yeah. He, yeah, he humiliates her. Um, and obviously there's this whole subplot with her family and her sister, a really beautiful character, Olga. But um, at the same time, they reconnect Years later, she has now married a prince. She is very successful. And he says, like, did I miss my shot with you? And basically, yet, yes, he did. Yeah, yes, he did. You did. Um, yeah. But our stage director, Rosetta Kuki, she has this incredible um, interpretation where she added a character, which is an older, wiser version of Tatiana, as she's reflecting on her life. And that adds a whole sub-layer. Um, and as we love to say, the, the opera really should be called Tatiana, not Eugene. Well, I have to agree with you there. Uh, and I think I suspect Pushkin, who wrote the original mm-hmm. novel, came to 
believe that as well. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a wonderful uh, mixture of a very intimate uh, story between two people and a society around them, and there's room for everybody. Yes. There are great ballroom scenes. There are great dances. There is great festivity, and there's real passion and heartbreak among the two people. Yes. And she sends him away at the she end. She does, yeah. which is very heartbreaking. Um, one of the things I should for him. For, I'm, she's a princess. What does she need this for? You know. <laughs> well, I mean, for me, it's like all this tension, and you know. Um, but what, what I was going to say is, um, the difference with a, a Russian opera, right, is that there's a lot of like in in an Italian opera, it's at the very end, right, the climax. But in Russian opera, there's lots of climaxes throughout the piece. Um, there's the sub stories that I mentioned. I mean, the most heartbreaking for me is Lensky. Um, who is in love with uh, Tatiana's sister, Olga. And there's this beautiful um, scene where basically he declares his love. And, and let's not give it too much okay, away. Okay, okay. Let's Don't not, get too excited. But, but you need to pay attention to Lenski and what happens oh, to him. Yes. And we'll just, we'll just leave it at that. Um, this is a, a magnificent work. And to hear the Columbus Symphony and Rosa Milanov play music by Tchaikovsky is always a treat. Yeah. The symphony is playing Tchaikovsky tonight and tomorrow night in the Ohio Theater with the first piano concerto uh, conducted by Carl St. Clair. But that's another wonderful story. Yes. But really, uh, they are they do the most difficult and large scale things is, are what they do especially well. Absolutely. Uh, and they are being uh, Eugene Onegin is in the Ohio Theater a week from tonight and mm-hmm. Saturday, March yep. 1st and 2nd. Uh, it is a triple production, Opera Columbus, the Columbus Symphony, and our friends at Kappa and Julia Nulin-Mera is here. She is the artistic director of uh, Opera Columbus. What attracted you to this story? Because I know last yeah. year, I think it was, they did Rigoletto, which is a Correct. bread and butter opera. People yes. <laughs> love the name of it. People yeah. know that. They don't know this one so much, so well. What attracted you to this work? Why did you want to produce this work? Well, so I've actually seen this work when I was 16 years old in St. Petersburg. So for me, it's also, you know, such a, a heartbreaking. I keep saying heartbreaking. My goodness. <laughs> it's it's Valentine's month. <laughs> um, but um, so it's definitely an opera that's dear to my heart. But also knowing the strength of the symphony, it was a no brainer. And actually, our stage director she was blown away yesterday when she heard everybody together. She was like, this is incredible to have such a powerhouse of a symphony um, in Columbus. And, and no small words because, you know, her, her previous gig was at Sydney Opera House. So she Australia. definitely sees it all. <laughs> She's been around. Here's a little bit of music. This is a waltz. You might recognize this, everybody. That's one of the waltzes from Tchaikovsky's Eugene Onegin, which is being presented next weekend, a week from tonight and a week from tomorrow in the Ohio Theater Opera Columbus, Kappa and the Columbus Symphony. Julia Dulin Meraz, the producer. Rosan Milanov is the conductor. You're, tell me about, a bit about your director. So Rosetta um, Kuki, she is actually the artistic director of the Wexford Opera Festival in, in Ireland. Ireland, but she also um, lives and is based in Italy. Um, so she's really worldly. She's directed everywhere. Um, and uh, this is one of her favorite operas, too. So we're in for a treat. And something I've seen in your marketing materials, which is uh, very oh. interesting to me, is Christian Dior. Yes. How, how does Dior come into this? So we um, 
It's very interesting. So part of the creative process was actually our stage director was looking to kind of change a little bit. Her inspiration is Hopper. She actually... Yes. Um, so I should mention that I'm actually also the set designer of this production. Um, but so she sent me images of a Hopper painting and she said, this is how Tatiana feels about the piece. And um, it was actually, I mean, talk about faith. It is the piece that is at the Columbus Museum of Art. Is that the girl in the window? Correct. Yeah, Yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, So based on that, we were looking at more mid-century inspiration. And our costume designer, Neil Fortin, he actually made the parallel that if we were to do it set in time versus um, mid-century, it is the same silhouette of costumes. So, of course, we're like, okay, we have ballroom scenes, we have parties, let's look at Christian Dior, let's look at Haute Couture. Um, So it's been a really incredible process in that respect. This is All Sides Weekend. I'm Christopher Purdy. We are talking with director Raymond O. Caldwell, who is in Columbus directing Skeleton Crew for the Contemporary Theater of Ohio. We will talk with him a bit more in our next segment. Also, Julia newland Mera from Opera Columbus. One note, we will be joined later in this broadcast by my colleague George Shilcock from WOSU, who has been reporting on the new concert hall being planned for the Columbus Symphony to be built on the riverfront. Uh, and George will give us more information, and we will talk maybe about how that might impact Opera Columbus and our other performing arts organizations. Don't go away. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. We are back. This is All Sides Weekend. I'm Christopher Purdy talking about arts and culture and what's going on uh, in our community this weekend and next weekend. Coming on, we're talking with Julia Nulenbera, the Artistic Director of Opera Columbus, who is producing Tchaikovsky's Eugene Onegin in the Ohio Theater next weekend with Kappa and the Columbus Symphony and conductor Russell Milanov. And we are talking with director Raymond O. Caldwell. We will be joined later by my news colleague, George Shilcock, to talk about the projected new concert hall uh, to be built on the riverfront for the Columbus Symphony. But let's talk more with Raymond. You were born in Germany, actually. Is that correct? I was. How long were you there? Do you remember being there? I do. So my mother is German. My whole family is still in Germany. Germany. My mother is Filipino and living in Germany. My stepfather is German. Um, and so I regularly go home to Germany. Germany is home to me still. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Now, what has been your journey uh, as a director? And explain really what a director, in terms of a play, what does a director do? It's a term everybody knows, but I don't know how many people know exactly what the director does. Yeah, you know, um, I actually got my start here in Columbus, Ohio. I went to Ohio State. I got my MFA at The Ohio State University, a proud Buckeye. Um, (laughs) And it is there, actually, here (laughs) that I I learned what directing is and the craft of directing. Um, I had a really brilliant professor then, Mo Ryan, who 
was just utterly brilliant and infused within me this idea of deep storytelling. How do you move an audience? How do you provoke them to think very deeply about themselves? How do you provoke an audience to move them to action when they leave this space? Um, so, so those are the core tenets that I took with me as a director. You know, everyone has a very different definition of directing. Um, my very basic definition of directing is to be the very first audience member. How am I the first audience member? And how am I thinking about how the choices that the actors, designers are making will provoke and move an audience? Um, so, so for me, the role of the director is to tell the story as, to experience the story rather, as the first audience member. Does it how does one study to be a director? You just direct and somebody smarter than you says that stinks. Do it differently? Or I mean, you know, I'll tell you uh, the truth. It, it, you can get into directing, into directing in any number of ways. Um, the way that I moved into directing, I have an MFA in acting and I was acting in, on a lot of stages and I was watching directors work and I wasn't satisfied with their work. Um, I wanted to be in control of the story. I wanted to be in control of moments. Um, and so I shifted away from acting and, and slowly began directing. Um, and, and, and then the passion came, you know. It really is a craft for me. Um, and so I began studying the work of other great directors and, and thinking about the ways in which I, in my own directing, and my own craft, pay homage to them because I stand on shoulders. Do you know, I, I uh, worked as a director for a while. And you know what I found out? I'm lousy at it. I'm really bad. <laughs> no talent for it whatsoever. But the people who let me do it were very kind about it. So I learned I will never do that again. So I am in awe of people who, who, yeah. who can do that kind of work. Now, Skeleton Crew, let's let's review again, uh, by Dominique Mortisot, mm -hmm. um, is opening February 29th at the Rife Center. It's a production of the Contemporary Theater of Ohio. Runs to March 17th. It's a four-character play. You, you're talking about storytelling, and I mean, I'm reading the premise. I'm reading the, the, the paragraph, which is really just to get your toe in the water, of four workers in an auto plant in Detroit that might close. But what is the story you're trying to tell with these four people in this play? Mm. You know, when I was here in Columbus working on my MFA, I, I often was discouraged as an artist because I wasn't seeing black work. I wasn't seeing myself reflected regularly on stages. And so when I think about the story of Skeleton Crew, it is a story about black people. And that's what I really love, um, a, a story of a subset of black people who have created a family, a work bond. And, and I think about that often because sometimes we spend more time with our work colleagues than we sure. do with our actual families. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and so the story is um, what happens when you begin to realize that the family that you love, the family you think you know, you don't actually know that everyone is harboring secrets, that we, when we leave this workspace, are also other people and have whole other lives. And, and so I think the, the uh, realization of that, the coming to that, um, is, is a core part of this story, learning very deeply about what you know about the people you, call, you, you say you love and the people and the things you don't know. Is there, does anybody coming to the play for the first time, an audience member have to know anything in advance? 
absolutely not. Right. Um, the thing that I love about this play is that it's it's deeply about the human condition. And the reason that I said yes, the reason I wanted to come back to Ohio after 15 years of being away is because I think the story is so important for this region. Um, when I went to Ohio State, I remember having so many friends whose families worked in not only automotive plants, but plants throughout Ohio. And, and the thing that I think we don't often talk about is when these plants close, whole communities Die. disintegrate, yeah. right? And so people who have fueled their dreams in these spaces now have to find their dreams in other places and spaces. And that's a lot of trauma. And, you know, I think about this and, and trauma and the work that I do as a director because I, I'm constantly thinking about the American theater right now. Mm. Why are we gathering and, and we know that people are not going to the theater. So I think that reimagining how and why we use our theater and how we use our theater as spaces of both conversation and healing and reflection is so incredibly vital and important. And so I said yes to this because I wanted to create a space where folks from this community, a community that I love, can actually come back together, sit together, and remember what that moment was. I'm under the impression as an audience member and as an observer that we're kind of in a bunker mentality for every individually right now because you know the world has been in a in, uh, the world has been a big question mark for the last few years at least uh, and covid is a big part of that um what are the special challenges for each of you as people who make your lives uh, with other people and and uh, is it feasible to go for example to as some people are to a completely online presentation or mm-hmm. are, are we past the point of people gathering together in a space in a theater to examine to to experience something at the same time mm-hmm. is that is that an old idea now or, or are you hopeful for that idea no i actually think you know there's a lot of conversation saying the next pandemic is actually going to be the pandemic of loneliness mm-hmm. which i think is yeah, exactly I... where we're headed right now and what we are are seeing in terms of trends is people want to make connections. They want to make friends. I mean, as adults, it's so hard, too. And so, um, so much of our programming has to do with actually creating connections before the performances. So, for example, when you came to Carmen, we had tower card reading. Everybody's invited to join the shows an hour earlier. For Maria de Buenos Aires, people could come and dance on stage. So they want to make friends. They want to connect. They don't just want to come to the theater anymore. So it's what are you doing leading up to the production? So you that, also, that's definitely you something You also do, Julia, a lot of site-specific pieces. Yes. <laughs> and you also um, work in the Southern Theater a great deal. Yeah. Uh, how do you have to adjust your lights when you, when you do different spaces? You're in a much larger spaces next weekend in terms of the yeah. audience. At least. I don't know that much about the stage. Uh, what's the difference except more people could come? Um, more people could come, but again, it's it's figuring out like for us, it's the moment you actually you know cross that threshold of whatever the performance is. Is how are we taking care of you? So that's that's a huge nuance um, in that respect because again, you know, like we're about to do the temple in a nightclub, right? Which is a reimagining of the magic flute. It's, All right, hold the phone. Here. Oh, hold that. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing Mozart's delightful fairy tale opera, the magic flute, which is based on Masonic ideas. Yeah, uh, from the end of his life, but you're doing it okay in a nightclub. Let's in a talk. Nightclub. <laughs> All right. No, I'm I'm just. Let's talk. Yeah. So, again, it, it attracts a completely different audience, too. So I think that's also important. Are you literally mm-hmm. doing it in a nightclub or are you setting we it are. in a nightclub? You are. Both, we right? are. 
Okay. Can't wait to see you there. <laughs> I can't wait to be there, and I, I won't miss it, of course. <laughs> Julia Nulenmera is the artistic director of Opera Columbus. That sounds like that. That's, I guess, your title, but it, it, there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, there's, uh, you know, uh, people who don't know opera have a, have an idea of what it is, and that idea is generally wrong, or it, it's what I was used to, you know, because I'm your parents' age, <laughs> growing up a long time ago. Um, what is it now? My title? No, no, no. What? It, no. What? What is opera now? Oh, opera now. I think it's what actually is it today. Opera now is actually the opera we're producing in Columbus, which is we're exploring what the genre is. So whether we do small, uh, small scale, grand scale, in a black box, in a nightclub, at a bus stop. Um, for us, we really want people to experience opera everywhere. Um, and, and we really create those musical moments. And I think a lot of people don't realize how accessible it is. It's cheaper to go to the opera than to go to the movie theaters where our tickets start at $10. Yeah. So we're really kind of making it accessible on all levels. And that for us is very important to the point where I don't know if I shared this with you, but I'm actually a U.S. delegate for Opera America, so for World Opera Forum. Which so, is the support. Let's make sure people yeah, understand absolutely. what that is. So, what, what is Opera America? So Opera America is basically the uh, the giant consortium of all the opera companies around the country. And so they pick 10 delegates to represent the U.S. for So every four years, it's kind of like the Olympics of opera, if you will. Um, and for Columbus to be selected is a huge deal. And it really shows that we are making an impact on a national level in terms of the conversation of how are we making opera accessible and exciting for the next generation. People are paying attention. Yes. Yeah. It's huge. Uh, Eugene Onegin is a big show. It's going to be in the Ohio Theater uh, next weekend, March 1st and 2nd. Russ and Milanov will conduct the Columbus Symphony. Julia Nulin-Mera presents it as the Artistic Director of Opera Columbus. And... Uh, what? Give me your director's name again, Miss Cucci. Rosetta Cucci. Oh, Rosetta Cucci is the stage director, and the uh, costumes are suggested, shall we say, by Christian Dior, or, yes. or inspired by Chris, and the set by Edward Hopper. Tell yes. me about the painting you used. <laughs> uh, so um, the 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 it's called Morning Sunshine, and she's looking out the window, and you will actually see a version of that window in the production. So it's really um, evocative and beautiful. And it just so happens that painting is part of. Uh, the Columbus Museum of Art's permanent collection. It's truly incredible. And the cast is phenomenal. I mean, our Tatiana uh, Lydia Grindado, I just heard her at Santa Fe this summer. She knocked it out of the park. We are so lucky to have these artists on stage. It's it's really incredible. Come and bring your friends next weekend, March 1st and 2nd at the Ohio Theater. Uh, Raymond Coldwell, um, what are you doing next? Where are you coming from and where are you going when you sadly leave Columbus? Yeah, so um, I, I still am stepping down. For, I've been leading a company in Washington, D.C. called Theater Alliance. So we currently are in a leadership transition. I have been the artistic director there for the last six and a half, seven seasons. Um, and so I'll go back to D.C. I'm working with Woolly Mammoth Theater Company and, and working on a solo show there and first stage uh, in Tyson's, uh, back and forth between L.A. Um, so it, it's going to be a busy time, but a good time. Can somebody make a living doing this? Can you support, can, can, a, can a young person listening to you who wants to study, uh, given that there's some talent, can you, is, it, is there a potential to make a living and have a life that you can support yourself and run a home and have a relationship and things like that? 
Yeah, it. I will say this: it's, hard. That it's never been easy to be an artist, no. right? And and to be an artist is actually to make a commitment to the art. Um, and so there are constant sacrifices. You know, I'm away from my husband right now, and I'll be away from my husband for a good majority of the. Is he year. in the business? He is. He also is a director. Well, he, well, and so that could be easier, but yeah. <laughs> wow. So so you know we make sacrifices. Um, we don't always get to go on the vacations we want to go on when we want to go on them because I am booked between gigs. And so, you know, it's a sacrifice, but it's the thing that I also said that I really wanted. And so what I regularly tell young directors is if you want it, you can and will have it because you will make the sacrifices and you will surround yourself with a subset of people who will understand the sacrifices that you make for your art. They tell you that uh, you you should only do this if you can't do anything else if you can't envision really doing anything else it's 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 true it's the thing that keeps me up at night and it's the first thing that wakes me up in the morning what is the zelda fitch handler award of which you just are the recipient what is that the zelda fitch handler award is an award that is given to recognize directors in the field who are doing wonderful work um i'm so honored to be recognized this year you know zelda and arena stage were actually the first place one of the very first places that i started my career um and zelda was the first person that made me believe that i could be an arts leader and so listen to to zelda oh yes (laughs) she was a brilliant brilliant thinker director artist Mm. um and and so to sit at her knee as as a young artist and hear these brilliant lessons and then to weave them into my career, to hear ideas that she told me now coming out of my mouth as I talk to young artists. Um, it's very full circle. And so I was really honored to receive that award and that recognition. And congratulations. Thank and you. thank you for being here. And everybody is going to go see uh, Skeleton Crew at the Contemporary Theater of yes. Ohio in the Rife Center. It opens February 29th and runs through March 17th. It is a four-character play about what happens uh, when an automotive plant in Detroit is threatened with closure. Uh, I don't want you to give away the entire plot, but it really is about, uh, and it, that struck me what you said, because you know very often your family becomes the people you see all the time, and that's at work for many people. Mm-hmm. And when that family's existence, you know, the glue goes away, what do you do? And so that people become very, very vulnerable and very angry as well. So... Yeah, you really see a mix of emotions through the play. And, and, you know, the cast who are all local here in Ohio are really quite brilliant. It is so exciting to come back to Ohio after being away from six for 16 years and see the way in which the art scene has really exploded mm-hmm. um, and is so incredibly diverse, is actually helping lead the way for the future of the arts in all the genres. Um, and so it, it's just so exciting to be back here at this moment doing this work and to see the work that the contemporary is doing. Um, the contemporary has a really diverse and exciting season. You know, when Lita, the artistic director, called me and asked me to direct this play, I told her I wouldn't direct the play if it was going to be the black play in the season, because that's what had been happening around the country for years. And I wasn't going to be a part of that as a director myself. I will not be the black play in your season. And then she explained the really amazing season and the incredibly diverse season that she is programming. Um, And it's because I think that the contemporary is doing the work that I think all of arts organizations here in Ohio are are trying to do. And to be in the business of getting us to gather, getting us to think, and getting us to heal. Um, And so that's really exciting. We are talking about arts and culture in central Ohio with Raymond O. 
Coldwell, who was in town directing, and also Julia Dulimera, who was uh, running Opera Columbus. And we are going to talk in a little bit about proposed new concert hall for the Columbus Symphony that's going to have wider community use. It's going to be on the riverfront um, and the uh, newly soon to be newly renovated Central Presbyterian Church downtown. My colleague George Shilcock will join us. Uh, we're going to take a break. Don't go away. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. We are back. This is All Sides Weekend Arts and Culture. I'm Christopher Purdy. Delighted to have your company. Thank you very much. Thank you, Julia Nulin Mera, the Artistic Director of Opera Columbus. She collaborates with the Columbus Symphony and Kappa next weekend, a week from now, in the Ohio Theater for Tchaikovsky's Garfer Eugene Onegin, um, which has only one death for an opera, which is atypical. <laughs> only one. Very sad. And then uh, she, she gets to dump him yeah. at the end. Long yeah. story. Raymond O. Caldwell is here. He is directing a new production of a play by Dominique Misero called Skeleton Crew at the Contemporary Theater of Ohio, February 29th through March 17th. And I am delighted to welcome my colleague, George Shilcock, to join us. Thank you, George, for doing this. I know you're busy, and I, I wanted to pick your brain about this, and so did the community. Uh, George is one of our reporters for 89.7 NPR News, and you have been reporting on the story of the Columbus Symphony's proposed new concert hall to be built on the riverfront. I believe they're calling it a, I think the budget has been set at $275 million for now, of which I'm, I'm understanding 27 has been raised. Um, I think the proposed groundbreaking is 2025 and opening night 2028. Who knows? George, I'm going to throw it to you and f- ask you what you've been finding out about this new hall. Yeah, so uh, our first inkling of this was uh, earlier this month, there was actually a preliminary site plan submitted about uh, the symphony to sort of get the land going and get the plans going. And then uh, the announcement was made uh, first uh, on all sides right here with you. There was (laughs) uh, Chad Whittington had revealed plans for this uh, new venue. Um, And then uh, the symphony rolled out their plans and showed off these new renderings of this sort of boomerang shaped building right on the Sayota Peninsula. Um, yeah, you, as you mentioned, $275 million. Uh, the, it sounds like they've raised some more money since I last spoke to uh, the symphony director, Denise Reg. Um, the last I checked, it was $20 million, but $27 million, uh, seems Give like. or take. It's, you know, yeah. <laughs> well, what's a couple million, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're all about accurate. You have to be all about accuracy, and I'm not sure. So I'm just going to throw that. There. I'm not, I think that's what I read, but I'm not sure. But um, anyway, so um, I'm curious to know if you've had any... Um, you heard any rumbling or any commentary from the community about these plans so far? 
Uh, so far, uh, right now, uh, we're actually doing a lot more reporting on this and looking into whether uh, a new venue like this is needed. Of course, this is going to be a 1,600-seat venue, and we have lots of theaters here in Columbus. And uh, our my fellow reporter, uh, Ali Vugrinsik, she's doing some reporting on this, looking at basically our total seats here in Columbus in comparison to like other other similar cities, similar sized cities. And we're going to be uh, reaching out for reaction. And yeah, whether something like this is needed here. Well, I can tell you as a symphony, as somebody, I mean, full disclosure, I mean, I, I sort of work for them and have been for about 25 years uh, doing commentary and things. And we present their broadcasts on Classical 101. So I want to make sure everybody understands that's where I'm coming from here. But I'm also somebody who's been around the, the, the classical music business since how old are you? Since 19, <laughs> 1978, maybe. You got um, me beat. <laughs> a a, um, a 2,800-seat hall, which the wonderful Ohio Theater is, is too big for a symphony orchestra. That's, that's just the reality. It is. Um, so uh, Severance Hall in Cleveland, Symphony Hall in Boston are the two halls I know best, are about 1,400, 1,500-seats, 1, which is considered ideal. So the idea of a 1,600-seat for our symphony orchestra... Uh, will mean that uh, with that number of seats, every performance will look like a sellout, which is very, very important. Um, and also for the acoustical properties and the comfort of the audience and certainly for the orchestra members, um, I would say it is needed, but I understand that there are going to be questions in the community uh, for people who are either casual attenders or who don't attend. Uh, explain exactly what where the locale is, where it's supposed to be. So, yeah, when when you look at the Sayuda Peninsula right near downtown on that riverfront, uh, you have uh, Kosai right there, the the Veterans Museum as well. And it's going to be sort of uh, on the south side of that little peninsula area. Uh, Right now, it's like this six, a little over six acre uh, stretch of green green space there. The city owns it, but they're going to be sort of leasing, selling it to the symphony for uh, it's going to be like a dollar a year. That's the question that people (laughs) are wondering about. Who owns the property now? And how the symphony is going to pick it up? And you just answered the question. It's a yeah. it's a peppercorn rent, a token rent, maybe. Yeah. S- speaking to the city and no, covering city politics for so long, they, this is often something city governments do around the country. Sure. When, when it's a potential for a space like this, it's going to be a return on investment eventually, with like, of course, tax money and other things and tourism. Um, but yeah, it, it, essentially, yeah, it's going to be like a dollar a year lease in return for. The symphony getting this land. And there is enormous precedent for that, as you say, across the country for, for people like, for, for organizations like that. Do you have any idea of, uh, the symphony can't play every night as much as we'd like them to. They can't. They're not going to play every night. Um, what percentage of time will would the symphony use the facility and who else would get to use it when they're not? Any idea what that's going on? So Denise Reg told me that essentially it's going to be open for other uh, performance uh, spaces as well. And there's also actually a mini uh, community theater right now planned for this uh, to be open for other performances. Um, as far as I know, it'll be open to a lot of different arts groups to come and perform. I'm not sure exactly the percentage, but uh, it is definitely, from my understanding, going to be open to other groups. So, it, I mean, it's fair to call it the... Um Columbus Symphony, if they're going to call it the Columbus Symphony Hall or whatever, it's built for the orchestra, but they will not be the sole proprietor or they will not be the sole performing entity using it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe that's what you're saying. Yep. Okay. Um, what about par- what are they planning to do about parking? Mm. Uh, are there going to be uh, retail spaces attached? Any idea about that? Uh, that's something we haven't really heard about yet. As um, Denise told me, a lot of this is very much in still the conceptual phases. That building right. that we're seeing, those renderings of, they even apparently have a really small scale model at their offices too. That our report, that Ali Vigurnsik was shown today, but it's very conceptual apparently still, and we haven't heard many details on like their parking plans. But as far as I know, there there is some parking available in the area, but I'm not sure if they want to plan to build more. George Shilcock is a reporter for 89.7 NPR News. He and his colleague Ali, say her last name for me. Vugrinzik. Are both <laughs> working on this program. Ali has a has a story in, in the works that's going to be on our website uh, and probably heard on the air as well about uh, the continuing story of this new building for the Columbus Symphony and Friends and others to be built on the riverfront. Um, I read that they were talking about, and uh, nothing is sure, but they were talking about a a groundbreaking in 2025 and an opening in 2028, but Mm -hmm. it's not in stone. I mean, it's still a work in progress. So, Julia, you, as somebody who (laughs) runs a leading arts organization and somebody who plays in the Ohio Theater and the Southern Theater and all kinds of uh, facilities around Columbus, what does this new hall what do you envision it meaning for your organization personally and for the for the community? I think I'm going to start with the community. Okay. Um, I think it's very exciting to hear that we want to create more space for art, especially downtown. I mean, we want to keep downtown alive. We want to keep it exciting. We want more opportunities in terms of spaces. There's a need. I mean, absolutely. Um, I haven't seen the plan, so I can't really speak to the hall. Um but I'm definitely very intrigued to learn more. Uh, what kind of, what should they know? What would an architect need mm. to know if yes. they were going to make a space in that hall that your organization could use as opposed maybe to what the ballet could do? Right. Or a theater company. I know one of the arguments is they want to free up the Ohio Theater mm-hmm. to bring in more Broadway and Columbus. That's one of the actors. Right. Broadway and Columbus is you can't get a seat. They sell mm-hmm. out. Okay, they're, they're, they're very, very crowded all the time. So I think when they say that, they, you know, they're also, Kappa, God love them, they're also a business. You know, yeah. they, they have to bring people down. They have to maximize usage and make money. And um uh, the, the symphony, uh, again, would sell out in a 1,600-seat hall. But I don't know really – I don't know any symphony orchestra that sells out in a 3,000-seat hall on a regular basis. I mean, that's no reflection on uh, talent or ability or, or quality. I mean, quality in Columbus has never been the problem. The problem is always, of course, money, and the problem is always, of course, getting people out of the house. And for some of us who should know better, it gets harder and harder, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. So uh, what But what would an architect need? If, if you were going to call up this architect yeah. and say, let's have a beer, here's what I need, what would you tell them? Definitely a fly space, because that's what we need in terms of scenery. Um, wing space, of course. Um I- you know, we, we need to be able to load in everything. So think about a loading. I'm like thinking all the practicality. But I also think like if I look at other halls or what I, what I want to call a music hall, not a symphony hall, um, like in Dallas, for example, you want to be able to adjust acoustically the baffle so you can have a chamber piece or you can have, um, you know, the, the, the big pieces. And I think that's the other thing to really keep in mind as well. If I was an architect, which I'm not. Well, I, I, you remember the yeah. story of... Uh, 
what used to be called Philharmonic Hall at Lincoln Center in New York. It opened in 1962. Mm -hmm. And the morning after it gave the first performance, Leonard Bernstein went on TV and said, the only thing to do with that new hall is to tear it down immediately (laughs) because nobody can hear anything. I can't hear my players. They can't hear me. The audience doesn't hear nothing. And they have gutted that hall six times in 40 years uh, to try to get it right. I haven't been in there in 20 years, so Mm -hmm. I don't know. But this, you know, the way acoustics are very, very important in a concert hall. And it wasn't until about, I think, 10 or 12 years ago when the late Ed Melvin, may she rest in peace, bought the, the orchestra shell that's on the stage of the Ohio Theater now that the right. sound, at least for the musicians, became much better. But if you can't hear your, the guy next to you, what he's playing, it's a problem. And it's, it's, it's a huge pervasive. It's, a, it's, yeah. it's also in terms of accessibility, because we work a lot with the Fat Babes of Columbus. And one of the things I'm saying, I see you on all our pop-ups, but not at the theater. You know, please join us. And they were saying the reason why we don't like to attend in-person classical music events is the seats are not wide enough. And so that would be definitely something else that I would say um, to the architect is just make sure that we remain inclusive. And I have to say, Chad has done a fantastic job. When I talked to him about it, we have now wider seats that are armless, which is really incredible. So I, I would hope the Symphony Hall also keeps that in mind. To really I know that Chad space. and Kappa has done everything, uh, really always has, to make it as comfortable and as easy for as many yeah. people as possible to attend whatever yeah. events they're putting on. And, and that's really something that they're... Yeah quite known about, but I don't think they are praised enough for it. So let's do that now. Yeah, they're doing uh, a fantastic uh, job. Uh, George, uh, do we have any idea about um, this groundbreaking in 2025, if that's realistic? If that's, are they really talking about that? Or are those, are those just dates being sort of thrown out there? Right now, the, right now, my understanding from Denise is that those are very much estimates. Um, the, the, a lot depends on the fundraising and what they're able to get. There's a grant, big grant they're going out for with the state of Ohio in their capital budget that, uh, of, of course, they, they really hope to get that. It's about $10 million, but uh, it's going to depend on if they're able to get their funding, which they're very um, confident that they'll be able to get. I am too, but uh, the, the, the only thing we know for sure right now is that nothing is for sure right now. <laughs> uh, they, they have wonderful renderings. They have wonderful drawings. Um, I think that... Uh, if the building does go up with that seating arrangement, I think the, the community and the arts will see a great deal of benefit. But right now, nobody knows nothing for sure. I th- is that fair? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Okay. <laughs> we know for sure they, they want this. Yes. That, well, yeah. That's a definite. Uh, yeah. Again, uh, it, it's been talked about for the last 15 years. So, so, but but they're moving now. One of the things that also was talked about uh, is actually happening, is my understanding. The Central Presbyterian Church downtown yes which is catty corner to the Ohio Theater, a gorgeous facility. The church community left the building. Uh, mm-hmm. The congregation went elsewhere a couple of years, just before the pandemic, I think they came oh. in. And the church has been empty. Kappa bought it. Yep. And um, about 10 years ago, shortly, sadly, before his death, Bill Connor, who was the CEO of Kappa, took me on a, and a bunch of us on a hard hat tour of the building and said, we're going to make this into a performance venue. Yep. We're going to make it. It's for pop concerts and jazz concerts and really again anybody who, who could we, it can be presentations it could be rentals uh there's going to be apparently a restaurant and a bars it's going to be a desk it's going to be a nighttime destination yes. for central ohio 
where if you want to see a show, there's a show. If you mm-hmm. want to have dinner, there's dinner. If you want to have drinks, there's drinks. That's my understanding of based on what I'm talking about. Um, and one of the things that I think is great is that, you know, we're living in a community now, but not that we're not one, but two new performance venues mm-hmm. are being planned, and one has gone beyond the planning stage, the church. I think that's really, they're starting oh, yes. work on it's that happening. now. Is that your understanding? Yes, absolutely. Now, it strikes me that would be a wonderful venue for you. Oh, yes. So, Upper Columbus was actually a part of the feasibility study. Um, so, so we, we've we've talked with their architects. we talked with... Um, um, extensively with Kappa as well. And we're very excited. I mean, when you look at Gen Z and millennial audiences, they want multidisciplinary right. spaces. They want the option to either have the show be immersive or in different seating configurations. And that, that space, that's what they're they're dreaming up. And, and um, to me, like, um, so they share the plans with me and I'm already thinking like, oh, we could do this production there. We could collaborate on this project. So I think um, to have such an inviting space that brings all the disciplines together is is a breath of fresh air, I think. That is Central Presbyterian Church in downtown Columbus, which is on 3rd, just catty corner to the Correct. front door of the Ohio Theater. Raymond, I don't mean to keep you out of the conversation <laughs> no. because I've enjoyed hearing <laughs> so much, but you as a theater professional, as an arts professional, venues... New venues must have to be important to you as well, yeah. no matter where you work, and you yeah. work all over the country. Yeah, so I've been a, a artistic director for the last seven years, and so this idea of venues, I think, is so important. You know, yes. I think the fusion of the arts and bringing the arts together in a singular space is also so important. Mm-hmm. Um, when we think about millennials, when we think about Gen Z audiences, there is something also about cultural competency and how are we creating actual spaces where we can fill in the gaps that schools have not. Once upon a time, the mm-hmm. arts were a core part of curriculums. And we've noticed that that has completely disappeared. Well, what does that do to a society? They forget the value of the arts. So these singular art spaces, I think, are so fundamental because they actually become uh, teaching grounds, teaching spaces for you know, these that's, you, you wouldn't know anything about this, but this is this is the advantage of being an old man because when you're an old man, <laughs> you, you had that. You uh-huh. had, I had that, yeah. you know. I'm Christopher Purdy. This is All Sides Weekend, and this is a great conversation. Thank you, George Shilcock, for coming in and talking with us, a reporter from 89.7 NPR News. We will continue to look for you and Ali's continued coverage of our projected new concert hall at WOSU.org. Thank you, Raymond O. Caldwell, for joining us today. Welcome home. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Uh, don't forget to go and see Skeleton Crew February 29th at the Rife Center running through March 17th. Julian Dulin Mera, I'll see more of you. I'll see you next weekend, Tchaikovsky's Eugene Onegin uh, from Opera Columbus Kappa and the Columbus Symphony conducted by Russ and Milanov. You know what I've got for you? I've got a little more music to sing us out. (laughs) Thank you all. Thank you, Chris Johnston. Thank you. Morning edition.